Have you ever heard of that challenge where you are meant to say yes to every opportunity that presents itself to you for an entire year? Well, our next guest, Gemma Coles, did exactly that. And because of her decision, she took on the stable and completely turned that building around. It is now a hub for so many different creative and IT businesses and startup companies, as well as yoga classes, pole dancing, you name it, it even has a market. Gemma is our guest. And if you don't feel slightly exhausted by the end of this podcast, you probably weren't listening. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the We Are Super Western podcast, shining a light on all the reasons why Western is a super place to live, work and visit. Your host today is Becky Walsh, broadcaster, comedian, author and Western resident. Becky will be chatting with the inspirational people who have created successful businesses here in Western, people who have interesting and unique stories to tell and those who are bringing excitement and intrigue to this fantastic seaside town through new projects, events, and their food and drink. Enjoy the episode. Gemma, welcome to the podcast. Now, here's the thing. We're sitting in the stables, and maybe people don't realise because you don't really think about it so much. So we've got the games room, which is directly opposite the playhouse. And then you can kind of come through if you're so fo- so qualified to come through, like a <laughs> member of staff. And you can go right the way through the building to the stables on the other side, which is, of course, the, the community hub and the cafe and everything there. But here's the thing. There is this cutesy little lovely outside courtyard, which is where we're looking out and you can see it. And it's got nice benches and gravel and a stage area and it's it's open but you would never know because it's enclosed by a building yeah um, cute yeah totally secret yeah apart from the squirrel that keeps coming from grove park and putting nuts somewhere which you don't know where he's going but he's made a little hole under the fence so this is an incredible space because when you are at the stables on the other side you know what, what did it used to be was it it, a Gosh, fire station no it looks all so like a fire station i think because they painted it red everyone says fire station um but it was it's had a few guises in life really so it was a coach house so i i guess the way that that's been explained to me is like taxis in victorian times okay. so like the coaches for the horses would come and be parked in there so no stables i think they were across the road hmm. um so it was coach houses on the bottom and then the top floors it's quite interesting because really, it's always had kind of a creative feel to the building so the top floors were top hat makers and cloaks from what I understand although John Crockford Hawley will probably correct me on on all of this but um yeah so that's what I've been told and then it was a nightclub for a bit and apparently a bit of a hangout for some bad boys from Bristol and some craze links and things like that and then yeah um before we got our hands on it it was just offices really yeah. just all of it offices yeah, quite, quite ordinary offices. Yeah. And now it seems to be like a massive cultural hub. So introduce yourself and your links to this place. So tell us all about it. Um, how so, did you get, how did you end up here? Oh, <laughs> yeah, how did I end up here? Um, so that would have been about five years ago now. <clears throat> um, so I was working in Somerset, running quite a few different projects. So my last role, um, I was employed by Mendip, South Somerset, and um, Sedmore Council to deliver 
funding and business support and um, support to community interest companies and startups and looking at working with things like the National Lottery to deliver massive funding campaigns and stuff like that. Had about 120 projects on the go at that point. So anything from the steam engines um, at Minehead to a donkey sanctuary to a mental health charity, pretty much everything you could think of really. And then Hinkley Point C came and asked if I would go in and look after anybody that they gave funding to. So if they handed out money from any of their grant pots, I would go in and look at governance and how the organizations were set up and make sure they knew how to manage that amount of cash and, you know, come up with ideas of what to do with it, really. Um, one of my friends have said in the past, I was a bit like Gordon Ramsay for charity, but <laughs> trying not to swear quite as much. Um, but yeah, I think that's quite, quite an accurate description of it, really. You do realise that swearing has been akin to large amounts of intelligence. Well, obviously. Well, there you go. But on this podcast, we don't do it. We do our personal lives. We just do. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that was that really. And then, and then the organisation that I was working for the most moved to Yeovil and I was at home working for about two years and I decided that I really missed the buildings. Mm. So I'd converted things like um, King's Western House from when it was the CID building into the stately home, um, toilet blocks on the downs in Bristol, Blaze Castle. Um, I was working part-time for the Red Brick building in Glastonbury, looking at developing their unused space and stuff. And, and then I went to not having a building and it and although I was involved in lots of different communities, I didn't really have the base to build anything properly. And I just started to really miss it. And and this came up and I thought, do I want to go back to Western? And, and I thought, I just, I'll go for the interview and see what happens. And I came and I was so not bothered. I was just like, yeah, it sounds good. I asked loads of really challenging questions about the board. I mean, I'd be, obviously I'd been working with hundreds of organizations and, and most of them, the, the problem was the way the boards were set up and, so I just kind of came out with all of it and I left going, yeah, it's quite nice, quite like the building. Um, yeah, and then they offered me the job and I'd made a decision earlier that year that I was going to say yes to everything that I was offered. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of, it was about, it must have been about this time, but they didn't get back to me for ages and it was around, the, I think, the 16th of December and we were just about to break up from the organisation I was working for for Christmas because they gave us extra time off because it was BCSE sector. And um, I remember my boss phoning and she was just like, you've done what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I'm going to take this job. And uh, yeah, so so that was it really. It wasn't, wasn't really planned. It was kind of a series of things that just kind of rumbled on and ended up with me being back here. And then I hid for the first 12 months I was here. I was just like, right, I just need to concentrate on getting this working right. So I didn't really engage with very many um outside organizations I was just like this needs to be fixed it wasn't in a, a great place when I first came on board um it was we had I don't know a fraction of the space that we've got now um and it needed quite a lot of development work the space had been charged out at really high amounts of money no one was really using it for room bookings we didn't have any office space um that could be rented um yeah so it was quite challenging when I first got here but based on everything you've just told me about, everything that you've been doing with your life, and you're saying it, it, it was quite challenging, actually sounds to me, in comparison to everything else that you've done, that it might, have, do you know what? It was a little bit boring. It only had all of these problems. You know, it's yeah. huge. No, it did have quite a lot of problems. Um, so initially, the idea was it was going to be a tech hub. Um, so it was really mixed. So half the board were like, it's a tech hub. We need to encourage 
um, IT skills and all that side of it. And the other half were like, no, it's a creative hub. It needs to encourage, um, you know, artists and all the rest of it. And it was really like it wasn't going one way or the other. So it was kind of wasn't doing anything. Um, So that was quite difficult trying to work out what it should be. Um, we've now, we have now weirdly got the balance of both. So uh, even though it felt like we moved away from the tech stuff slightly, um, but we, um, but it's yeah, interesting, it, isn't it? Because I think that with things, you know, Western seems to have that balance of, uh, tech, IT, innovation, startup and creativity. I mean, when I think about Sea Monster, it prided itself on being able yeah. to kind of put together those two yeah. uh, dynamics. So tell me what is here now? Like what, what have we got? Gosh, what are the kinds of businesses? What isn't here now is a better <laughs> question. So we've got, um, companies that are doing things like tracking trees that are chopped down in rainforest to see where they end up. We've got one organization in the middle of COVID. They were the first people to come up with the idea of a COVID passport and kind of selling that idea to different people and apps and all that kind of stuff. We've got robot technology in um, like medical pharmaceuticals where they make the machines that do the, you know, you see on the news, the little pipettes of stuff that robot arms, they make all of that. We've got um, circus skills. We've got pole exercise classes. We've got uh, German groups, knitting groups, um, Gosh, AI companies, different charities for dementia, counselling, art therapy, ghostwriters, uh, insurance brokers, HR, medical consultants. Um, Cuddly toy in a microwave oven. Uh, you just, yeah, if you need something, <laughs> come in and someone here will do it or know wow. someone who does because, it, yeah, so because we've not only got the kind of 40 offices, but we've also got on top of that. Um, about 120 hot deskers um, that come in. So most of them are on fairly small packages because they tend to either work with international companies or they are stay-at-home parents and fitting it around other things. So there's a huge network of those as well. So they've got loads of different skills and all sorts of different things. Um, we've got people that book the rooms from makeup artists we had in at the weekend doing something to children's birthday parties. Just, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty much everything goes on goes on here. And do you find that works for networking? So do people talk to each other? Because obviously you've got yeah. the cafe there as well. Yeah, so definitely. you find that people are kind of, you know, linking up and working together and creating business B2B. Yes, absolutely. They do. They do a lot of networking and, and working together as well. Um, some of the kind of original guys that were here just after I first started, they have formed new companies together, um, expanded into different industries. Um, yeah, they do absolutely tons of different crossover projects now um and it is yeah like i say if if you need somebody there is pretty much somebody here that can probably do that but can you describe the stable because we sort of talked talked about that walkthrough bit but it is a little bit of a complex building with having the games room at the front so can you talk through as if you were mapping it out or taking us on a guided tour um, so my TARDIS, as everybody calls it. So I'm, I'm actually quite tempted to get the front door painted like a TARDIS because it is so massive when you come through. So ground floor, you've got um, the cafe, which we took the wall down a few years back to kind of incorporate that a bit more because it felt like we needed that community food space in there. So we've got the cafe. Um, we've got a couple of large offices on the ground floor now and we've got a food shop. Um, and then if you come behind that, we've got, again, lots more smaller offices. 
then um, so if you carry on on the ground floor, you've then got the courtyard, which then goes through to meeting room spaces. We've got um, Wave uh, radio station in here, um, more tech companies. And then we carry on through and we're in the board game pub, the stable games room, which is opposite the playhouse if you were on that side of the street. Um, if you then go back, um, you've got the second floor, which is, again, lots more offices, co-working space. So that's where people can turn up for an hour or a day or a week or whatever and, and use space. Um, more office spaces, a couple more meeting rooms. And then the top floor, um, again, offices, the loft, which is our biggest meeting room space where things like yoga and, and those kinds of <clears throat> larger um, open plan type things. It's got amazing windows and like fairy lights and a vaulted ceiling and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's the top floor. Um, and that is it in this building yeah and markets and all sorts of things <laughs> as well so i've been to quite a few of the kind of like the artisan style markets yeah so the artisan markets we're actually just kind of changing them a little bit so when we first came up with the artisan markets it was before covid there wasn't really any markets taking place in western at all um and it was a really good thing and what we've tried to do is deliver things that aren't taking place so um it sounds a bit of a i don't know really but i guess we enable things to happen and then when we don't need to do them anymore, we move on to the next thing. So the markets, um, they weren't happening before COVID. COVID came and went and then um, lots of people that attended our first markets started creating other markets and now you can't move for markets. So every weekend there's at least one or two markets on. So we don't really need to be delivering it in the way that we were anymore. So we're now changing that and I think we're only going to do them once every quarter and they're going to be night markets. So a bit more, because what we like to create is something with a bit more atmosphere and a bit of a, an, uh, I don't know, what's the word, a bit more of an experience. So they're going to have live music, um, cocktails, drinks in the bar um, and then the market stores throughout. So we, we trialed them last year and they were really successful like that and the footfall was much better. So, so that's what we're doing from, we're moving from November. I think the first one's 11th of November. And that's the plan then to, to do them like that instead, because we don't need to be delivering them anymore. We've, we've, the whole point behind the stable is to stimulate economic growth and a sense of community around us. And once we've done that, if other people want to get on and take it off us, brilliant, you know, let's, let's do, and we can move on to the next thing. So yeah. that makes sense. Now, another thing that stands out as a kind of a, a what is um, the food shop. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we, in COVID, we were really involved with delivering. Um, so even before that, when I worked in Glastonbury, every summer we used to run a project to feed kids that weren't being fed because they wouldn't have to free school meals. So it kind of been on the agenda to set up here when I got into the building and everything was sorted. And then COVID came along. <clears throat> and so we were like, right, we can probably do that because these kids are all out of school now and they're not, they've not got anything to eat. So let's, we can be quite reactive to this and get on with it. So before the government started in, initiating the vouchers or the systems where they were trying to get food out through the schools, we started doing that. So we delivered about 55,000, I think, in the end, free school meals across the period. Um, had a lot of support from the YMCA and um, suppliers delivering us food. And so at the end of that, became something that we wanted to carry on with um so we've done a few different projects around cookery and around feeding children and stuff but then we got the opportunity of western town council to explore the food clubs um and we had empty space and um i was just like do you know what we can probably just do this so we've been running it's been open for a year um it's been really successful we i think initially we thought we'd get 
25 members in the initial six-month pilot. And I think by the end of week three, we had over 300 members or something ridiculous like that. So um, we've got now probably about 200-odd members. Not everybody uses it regularly. Um, It was designed as a food waste project, but it's very quickly become about food poverty. Um, It's there's no stigma to it at all. Um, it's if you're coming in, you're saving food from going to landfill or from um, incineration. So um, there's, yeah, there's everybody from all walks of life which uses it. It's five pound membership for six months and then five pound for a basket every week. The basket is probably about 40 quid's worth of produce in it um, and can be anything from fresh fruit and vegetables to pasta to jars of Domeo to yogurts to you know whatever comes in sometimes steaks but they tend to go pretty quickly if they turn up um yeah so it's been it's been a nice project really to be involved in yeah and a much needed one and a similar sort of ethos to the community fridge in some ways as well so yeah and it's weird how quickly that was needed straight off the back of covid well not weird but (laughs) sad and really disappointing. And I imagine that you've probably heard quite a few stories. Yeah, it has been. It's quite, I mean, we've we've now got a lovely volunteer, Cynthia, who manages the shop um, when most of the people come in. Thursday mornings after the delivery arrives, there's like a queue of people waiting. And so she's now dealing with, with most of those conversations. But it has been tough. And we do get messages. We, we're trying. Um, the way that I see it is the food bank is really, really struggling and there aren't enough referral letters for it. And and not everybody needs to go to the food bank. Some people can afford the five pounds. I mean, you could spend five pounds in food. You could fill your basket and have food for a week. As we always make sure that there are staple items there. So um, it takes a bit of pressure off them as well. And those people that are kind of in between, they don't really need to go to the food bank. They'd rather not anyway. They're paying a little bit for it, but they're still getting the food. So it's it's got a really good place but when they come in some people come in and they're, they're telling me about their ovens aren't working anymore and they've got a landlord from hell and it's all the other stories that go with it as well and you just think yeah nearly swore then didn't well then. <laughs> but uh yeah it is quite stressful but I think um to begin with it was quite overwhelming I remember when we when if like 300 people suddenly were turning up every week it was really overwhelming and it felt a bit like is this enough are we doing enough and we have had to change things a little bit to to cope and manage the demand and and be quite tough on what it is and what it isn't because otherwise um yeah i think we could have quite easily been overwhelmed to the point that we didn't really know what we were doing um so yeah it's been interesting we we ran quite a good project which we'll probably do again in the next few months which is around asking people to donate slow cookers um because quite often people buy them and then they never use them they get shoved in the cupboard so we did do a thing where people could donate their old slow cookers to us and we'd get them pat tested and then give them back out to people to help with electricity costs and stuff and i expect we'll do that again in november um good plan especially in time for christmas and things like that and so throwing you to the other side of the building which is slightly more entertaining um games room well, how did that come about? Why did you go, do you know what? We won't just open a bar, we'll open a game. Well, we didn't bar. even want a bar. So so what happened was I wanted the back of the building for more office space because in COVID, um, just before COVID, I suppose we'd been I'd been here about two years by that point, and it got to the fake point where our waiting list for office space was massive. Mm. So we were like, right, let's 
why don't we take the back of the pub that nobody uses? I mean, the back area had been left for years. It was full of rubbish and just completely needed refurbishing. Um, so we spoke to the guy that owned the whole building and said, can we just take the back half and we'll just convert it into offices? And so that was all going ahead. And then COVID happened and the guys that were running the pub didn't make it through for whatever reason. And the landlord said, uh, I don't know now, actually, maybe someone won't want to take the pub if they haven't got the courtyard and the back spaces and so do you want to take all of it and simon had managed the market house when he was like 18 or 19 and it was oh sit, why don't we take the pub and i was like what we're we going to do? we don't need the pub and then around the same time um i'd been to a couple of board game cafes with some friends and i was like do you know what western needs a board game cafe we, we've, we've not got anything that's major we had a few kind of <clears throat> warhammer type places um but nothing that was really hitting that mainstream target audience. So I was like, right, okay, we're going to do it and we're going to open a board game pub in there. And that was that, really. And that was... <laughs> Wait a minute, I've just got this vision of you kind of like scoping around secondhand shops for, for you know, boxes of Connect Four or stuff. Yeah. Is that what happened? So, so pretty much I, I spent hours and hours trawling. For, I mean, we've got well over a thousand board games in there now. Yeah, and we, we had more than that because things like Connect Four, which I initially was like, we need Connect Four and we need seven different types of Monopoly. Simon was like, no, we don't need any of that. No one plays Monopoly anymore. It causes arguments. What we need is some of the nostalgic games, but we need like really good modern games because gaming's moved on so much now to things like Catan and um, oh, just there's just so many new games out there. And um, so, yeah, so I did spend a lot of time trying to buy things on eBay. There are a huge amount of Facebook board game groups where people sell stuff as well. So it did take a really long time, but we were quite, so I wanted, from looking at all the other board game groups, I wanted at least 300 games because the, least amount of games that I'd seen anyone advertise was 300 and I thought right so we need 300 to make this good but probably we need 700 ish to be really on top of it all um so um I was kind of right we had the 300 sorted the top 10 games or whatever it was on the list and all the rest of it and then we were due to open so I think we got the the keys on the 1st of September and then we ran around like blue ass flies trying to get it all decorated ignoring the back of it and just getting the pub redone so we could get it open in time for half term and then I think we opened for half term. We did 10 days and then government shut everything with COVID. And we were shut for, what, 18 months or wow. something. So it was like, oh, I've made a mistake here. Huh. Um, and yeah, I felt it was a bit stressful yeah. for a while. Um, but in that time, we did kind of just push on. And, well, um, you did the decorating of the rest of it and, and we did more slowly. The rest, <laughs> yeah, when we were allowed in. But yeah, so we opened for 10 days. So I think actually... What is, what is that? Like, I think three years or something, is it? We've been open for, been open for three years, but actually we've only been open for something like 18 months in that three-year period wow. because of how many closures there were and stuff. So it is quite amazing uh, how far it's come and how many people are invested in it now when actually it's such a short space of time. So. I mean, every time I come in, it's usually like, you know, really busy and then you do these incredible food platters and yeah. there's all of this stuff that's going on and you have events and there's different things. And and it's what it's that I think the opening of the games room really allowed a lot of other stuff to happen. So obviously there was the um you know the the two places opposite the stage door um what also had that <laughs> kind of like I look at the outside of them that has obviously been done up by the the, the heritage yeah. um 
work. Uh, um, and it's all very beautiful. I always sort of say it's very Bristol on the outside and Western on the inside. <laughs> right. You know, they have, because it's still got its authenticity of what those establishments are. Yeah. And then, of course, the Sabres Games Room has had the um, incredible mural on the top of it yeah. from part of the Western Walls Upfest. Um, and then we've got a new bar that's opened that's um, that does an incredible rhubarb cider, just saying. <laughs> and then you've got the black cat on the other side yeah. and the playhouse. And, you know, and then right at the back of that on the other side with you, you've got the um, Blakehay Theatre as well. This is a village. Yeah. It is a village and it feels like a village. And when yeah. you come here, it's kind of like to go, I'm going to go to the Brit Bar. But then there's the da, 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 da. there's like a little journey of where you would go. And so if you want to have a really decent pub call without moving, <laughs> yeah. then this is the place to go. You might kind of like start, you know, at the Black Cat and then you go to the Stable Games Room and then you go to the new bar and then you might go across the road and then you might, you know, end yeah. up watching some live music. Yeah. And then there you go. Yeah. And it's not, I think, I think the thing that's different as well is because of the mix of them, it's not really a drinker's drinkers area. Yeah. So because we are we're a family pub as well, um, so there's, there's always families around and we've got a lot, a huge amount of non-alcoholic produce because there's a huge market for non-alcoholic drinking as well. So yeah, that is going off the scale, right? Yeah. Now. So, it really is. so it's kind of a, no, no, it just feels like a nicer, I don't know, nicer environment around the village and stuff. Yeah. And, and just like the roots and things. Obviously we've grown park now it's improved massively over the last couple of years yeah so, lots of live music and bands on the band stand yeah and, so it's, that and the glow which is going to be glow festival which will be in the other yeah. half next year yeah it's huge i just think it's incredible it's amazing i mean it's i feel like you've been open for ages and i hadn't even mm-hmm. really considered that kind of like covid period and the games room yeah because it, it's it's just the minute you open the door it felt felt to me like it was vibrant and popular and kind of connected yeah. and i'm i'm not a games player no but i really do like it's all <laughs> i know this is gonna and uh forgive me if i sound kind of uh disrespectful to the clientele but what i really enjoy is they kind of run to the games <laughs> Like a child runs to games, yeah. like at Christmas, like you run underneath the tree. They kind of run to the games and go, no, no, not that one, this one. Oh, no, 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 we played that one this time. Can we play yeah. this one? And this is the adults. Yeah. It's like, it's so cathartic. It's almost like a healing place to yeah. be and it's for adults really playing with games with the kids and introducing their children to games that they yeah, used to play. Definitely. And it's a really good mix as well because we've obviously got the D&D crowd that are slightly more serious about their gameplay. And then we've got the ones that come in and play Scribble Scramble. So it's, but it all blends together. It's not an us and them type thing. And mm. it, I think sometimes with, with the gaming stuff, it, it did feel like there was a, a special cult group that did this stuff. And, and we get quite a lot of people come in who are like, oh, we're allowed in. We don't play games. It's like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> come in. But I bet by the time you leave, Simon will have made you play a game and you'll be sat there for hours he's so good with that yeah he's really good and he's really good at explaining things as well and yeah. it's uh, god knows how he keeps all of that information in his yeah. head but he seems to be able to actually have it down and also i think um simon creates an atmosphere yeah you no know, he's a he's a one-man creative atmosphere not nothing about the other bartenders who are actually really really lovely as well but it's almost like having a butler or a host or somebody yeah, like that who is. kind of has that yeah. that sort of like 
and welcome yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. sorry to call him a butler, but you know what, you know <laughs> no, what I mean? Exactly. There's a presence. Yeah, I mean, you, kind know, of you a... get people come in and they're like, we're just staying for one drink. And then like three hours later, they're like, <laughs> how have you done that? And he's taught them like loads of games and yeah. they're calling him, see you later, sign. <laughs> like, how do you do that? I mean, I can't go anywhere with him because he always knows people. Yeah, yeah, he just, yeah. He's that kind of personality. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly that, which is never a bad idea. Um, the Stable Foundations, what is this? So that is something that's kind of come about on a couple of, for a couple of reasons, really. So Simon um, originally, a long time back, opened the Strawberry Line Cafe in Yatton, which was set up to work with adults with learning disabilities. And then um, he moved, um, Western Train Station then said, do you want to come and do this at Western? So he had a cafe called Cold Shed at the station, and he did quite a lot of work with adults with learning disabilities. And then, so when we got the pub, we were like, well, actually, we still want to be doing that. And we were doing a little bit of it at the stable, but Simon wasn't here at that point. So it was harder to fit it all in. And then the kickstart scheme started as a result of COVID. So that was supporting um, 16 to 25 year olds who hadn't had the employment opportunities that would have been there if COVID hadn't, been, hadn't had work experience, um, had suffered quite dramatically, actually. It sounds stupid, but just the impact on COVID on young people was actually huge. And I think we're still going to be dealing with that for a long time to come. Um, so we became a government gateway. So we helped 175 young people over, I think, 18 months, something like that, to find employment. And they were in six-month contracts with lots of different organisations, quite a lot in the building, but others in, in Western and North Somerset as well. And when it came to an end, we had just gathered a group of young people who still weren't really ready to be employed, but we didn't want to let go and didn't want to let down. So we were like, okay, we've made a lot of connections now. Um, the college was coming to us and saying, could you take people from the Bay? Um, we had St. Brandon's in asking us to take people. Just loads of organisations had kind of gone, do you know what? What you're offering is proper enablement and is, I mean, you know, again, mostly down to Simon and the way he is with people. He would have a kid come in who couldn't speak or look up from the floor and they'd be in with us for six weeks and they'd leave and their confidence and what they were then able to do um, was just phenomenal. Just, you know, they'd gone from having to have their parents take them everywhere to being able to get the bus in to do a shift, talking to people that were in the building um, and just were employable and were ready to go out and, you know, and, and, and join society properly. And so, yeah, so Stable Foundations just, just came from that really so we now just offer opportunities to anybody we, we tend to try to look at people that fall through the gaps so um one of the things that we had to begin with was there was quite a lot of people who because of their age weren't then eligible to go to the bay or some of the college things um or um because they didn't have the right amount of funding they couldn't take part in different things and also the other one that was a really annoyance for us is that there was a lot of organizations out there who were getting the people to use their PIP payments, which is their funding for support. And then they were bringing them into us. The support worker was sitting in the corner for an hour while Simon was teaching the things and they were paying them £90 an hour to be with them. And we just thought, actually, this, this needs to change. We need to change that system because why should they be paying for them to just sit and drink coffee? So, so that's kind of how it came about, really. We just thought, actually, we can do this. Um, let's see who we can support. Um, we've just had seven of the Kickstarters have just completed apprenticeships. Um, four of them had been written off. 
they were never going to, they didn't have GCSEs. They were never going to complete apprenticeship. There was no point even trying with them. And we have just, I mean, we've dragged them through it to be fair, but they have just completed. Um, so yeah, so most of the staff that you see around the building, um, do have some kind of learning or health and wellbeing need? Um, because that's what we, that's what we want to do really. We want to give them the opportunities. Um, it's hard work at times. It really is. Um, but I don't think we'd be doing anything any differently. You know, it means a lot to us. It's really unbelievably important and under, you know, just underserved. Yeah. Just massively underserved. And I think, um, I've been really, I'm currently doing um, a level two in understanding autism. Right. And just even that little bit of information that I've got. Uh, so within different roles that I've got where I do have colleagues who are autistic, just in terms of understanding how really minor adjustments in my yeah, communication yeah. makes all the difference. Yeah. The focus is always on the lack of ability yeah. rather than the focus being yeah. on the ability. And everyone's different, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be labelled as something. You've it just got to find a way to deal it's just, with it. It's just going to get involved in your unique unus yeah. and work out where the genius is within yeah, your unus. Definitely. Oh, I love the fact that you're doing that. I think that that is really amazing. So um, now I'm going to put you in the spotlight, Gemma. What's an interesting fact that you know about Western that perhaps someone else doesn't know about? Maybe you wish that they did. Um, I just think there's quite a lot of little... So what I find really frustrating, I suppose, with Western is if Western Sea was blue, everyone would think our prom is amazing. It is amazing. Like what you can do down there, like the, the... the walks, the the difference between one end of the beach to you know sand bay to uphill, um, just little. We've just got little bits of stuff that don't get promoted, like St Nicholas Church in uphill or the Priory out in Whirl or the Quarry when it's back open again. Um, there's just there's just all sorts of little bits that just make it nice, really and quirky. Love that. Um, and so where do you go out for a meal in Western if you do ever go out? If you have time? Oh, God, yeah. Time is a thing. And I'm knackered when I'm not here. So um, really? Tend, how surprising. <laughs> end up in um, Japanese. Yeah. Sure. Sakura or Ibisu or somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, I've got, is it Thailand leaves? Thailand yeah, leaves yeah, or yeah. something like that, which apparently is yeah. supposed to be great. So I'd, I'd quite like to go there soon. And um, I'm a bit awkward because I eat funny things um favorite thing to do in western um so i think welby woods is a big one for us i've got uh, an eight nearly nine year old so he quite likes stomping around up there you um, looking forward to the leaves because we're heading into autumn yeah good leaf kicking exercise yeah. getting them thrown in my face by him which he finds really funny every year just mm-hmm. a handful of leaves mum there you go um yeah so Wel- welby woods is a good one we just like Wrapping up and walking on the beach, really, you know, just all that kind of blustery outdoor. This is my favourite time of the year. Um, Simon's is the summer, but mine is the kind of autumn. Autumn, yeah. And getting the, the, the wind and the weather. Yeah, log fire on and Ooh. all of that stuff. Yes, right. that's a rather cool thing. Um, favourite event of the year? Oh, this one stumped me a bit, but I think um, it's got to be the Sea Shanty Festival, really. I don't think anything else has come along and brought the town together as much. And I think a lot of our events take place on the seafront, but this is like through the whole town and the place is buzzing. And I think they've done it, is it three years yeah. now? Yeah. And like, they're just a little group of volunteers. Yeah. And I just, it blows my mind that they manage it really. And 
yeah, it's just, it's got to be one of the best. And favourite place to shop? Oh, so this sounds really, that is tricky. I do love the artisan market because there's loads of local crafters that are in one place. So that's quite easy. Plus, I don't have to go anywhere. So that's, <laughs> that's quite good. Um, there's just tons, isn't there? So I like, um, I guess we're a bit nerdy. So empty games, imaginarium, stuff like that, comic books, um, you know, all that kind of, I suppose it's retro nostalgia type feel stuff really so yeah, yeah. vintage yeah. shops those kind of things so. you know I thought I knew you to be honest because we do kind of cross paths a bit but I have to say the enormity of the stuff that you have done with your life and the stuff that you've been doing with the town and everything here it's it's epic it is really epic and I think you know if if you achieving all of this stuff just because you're constantly just underliningly annoyed um, <laughs> you know it's just it seems to me that your life seems to be flip-flops between um annoyances that are motivating and great joy for fun and entertainment it yeah. just sort of seems that that's the, so you. lovely to speak to you thank you thank so you. much for being on the podcast no worries thanks for listening to the super western podcast let us know what you think about the conversation and some of the topics we've covered here today over on instagram facebook and linkedin all of that information's in our show notes below we would love to hear from you if you want to hear more about the super people working and living here in western make sure to subscribe to this podcast you can do that over on apple podcasts spotify or wherever else you listen Whilst you're there, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find this podcast and help us share the word about how amazing Western really is. And you can keep up to date about the amazing transformations taking place in Western over on superwestern.net. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. We hope to see you in Super Western soon.